Happy Father's Day, everyone. Uh, you guys know that at Crosspoint, we, we preach through books of the Bible. We just take the next passage in uh, Matthew. That's where we are right now. And so we don't, we don't necessarily like stop down for every holiday. You know, we, don't, we, we focus on uh, Christmas, we do Advent, we focus on Easter, but we don't take every single holiday on the calendar and say, well, we probably ought to do a message on that. We just trust in God's word and we just go through God's word and we just preach the next passage. But every now and then it works out perfectly because today we have such a heartwarming passage for fathers. <laughs> well, the nine o'clock crowd was more awake, Kai. Let's just, whatever you said was wrong. Um, yeah, this passage is crazy. There's so many weird things in this passage. But since it is Father's Day, I thought I'd at least try to make a couple points of application for fathers. Um, on, on Mother's Day, I think I was preaching about Jesus feeding 4,000 people. I was like, your mom could do that. Um, but on, on Father's Day, looking at, at this passage, let me just say a couple of things real quick. First, a good father will do anything for his family. Here you have this father who's got a son who is, uh, has so much going on, so many problems here. And you know this father has has that mindset, I will do anything for my family. I, I, I will do anything for my son. A good father, that, that's the way we see the world as fathers. Is, man, I gotta protect my family. I gotta do anything I can for my family. A good father does that. You know that he's probably pulled his son out of the fires, probably jumped in and grabbed his son when he fell in the water. Like this, this father, is a good father will do anything for his family. And so Kai talked about the fact that we're giving you a book as fathers today. Uh, about family shepherds, about leading your family, because if you want to do the best thing for your family, that is it. Lead your family. And we all could use help in that. We all could use help in how we can do that better and be equipped to do that. But a good father sees it that way. will do anything for his family. But a great father admits he can't do everything for his family. And you see that in this picture, too. You see this guy going, I, I, I can't. My son needs help, and I can't help him. And so he comes to Jesus. He brings him to Jesus. He brings him to the disciples, and we'll talk about that in a second, but he ultimately he brings him to Jesus because he knows he needs help. He knows he can't do everything for his family, and that family discipleship book is designed to equip you, but it's also designed to remind you that the greatest fathers are just pointing their families to Jesus. They're bringing them to Jesus. They're, they're putting them in front of Jesus. They're pointing them to the gospel all the time, and that's what it looks like to be a good father and a great father. Good father, I'll do anything for my family. Great father, I, but I can't do everything, but God can, and so I'm going to point them to him all, all the time, and so even in this passage on Father's Day, I think we can make a couple applications. But Jess, I mean, you can just take that off of there. Go back to the title screen. We'll just start over and actually look at the passage from this different perspective. What, is, what, are, what are we supposed to learn from this passage? But because there's so many interesting things in this passage, I think we need to do this first. I, need to, I think we need to say what this passage is not teaching us. And sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you have to look at the passage and go, okay, what is... This kind of looks weird, this kind of, that's interesting, I'm not sure what to do with that, and so let's just go ahead and define some things that it's not teaching us, put those on the side, so then we can really have an open mind to what God wants to teach us through this passage. And the first thing I think that would be helpful for us is to say that seizures are not equal to demon possession. It, you, you read through this, and I don't know if that strikes anything with you, but you see this guy say, hey, my son has seizures. And next thing you know, Jesus is casting a demon out of him. And you can easily get there. You can easily make that, oh, so I guess that's what that is. Well, that's not what this is trying to teach us at all. In fact, if you really want to go deep here, the word that this used here is not the most common, most often used word for seizures. 
This word actually is talking more about symptoms. It's more like it looks like he has seizures. And so it's actually pointing that direction. And so this is not Bible teaching us that epilepsy and all these diseases are all demons. And so sometimes it's it's easy for us to kind of think, well, the first century mind wasn't, they, they, they didn't understand. They weren't as enlightened about medical terminology and stuff. So they just looked at everything as if it was demons. And we kind of see it that way sometimes. And then over here, we have this, all this medical understanding from the last you know, couple thousand years, and we see things a little bit differently, and sometimes we ignore the fact that there is a spiritual battle going on. The Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but there are demons. There is a devil who is trying to devour us, who is trying to destroy us, and we kind of got to figure out a balance there. You know, there's, there's obviously things that are medical that, that God has given us grace to treat medically, and then there's this spiritual battle that maybe sometimes we don't understand. But when you see something like this, it's not like, okay, so yeah, that's what that is trying to tell us. No, I don't think it's doing that at all. I think that he had symptoms that look like seizures or epilepsy, but it turned out it was was a demon. Uh, The other thing I think we need to say it's not teaching us is even more important than that one, and that is this, that this passage is not teaching us that all unanswered prayer is due to a lack of faith. That's not what this is teaching us. Jesus is going to rebuke them. He's going to say, why couldn't you do this? Because you didn't have enough faith. You had little faith. But it's not. This passage, this story's not here to teach us that when your prayer goes unanswered, and by that I mean when God says no, because he answers all prayers. He says no, wait, yes. But when your prayer, when when you get a no, when God doesn't do what you're asking him to do, it doesn't mean that you didn't have enough faith. We, we know that that's not what it's teaching because this is not the only passage that God has left us with. He's left us with the whole Bible, the whole counsel of God's word. And we see all throughout that God heals some people, he doesn't heal some people. He answers some prayers and with a yes, he answers some with a no. Like, we see that all throughout the passage. And so that idea that, well, if you just had more faith... Then, then you'd be okay. If you just had more faith, you wouldn't be sick. If you just had more faith, you'd be healed. That's not a scriptural idea. That's a false teaching. That's a heresy. Find me one of those guys that's teaching that out there and tell me that they have as much faith as the Apostle Paul. They don't. I mean, you, we know about the Apostle Paul and his faith and his mission journeys, all the things that he did. And, and what does Paul have? He has this physical affliction. He has this thing. He wants it out. It's causing him an inconvenience. It's causing him pain and suffering. And he asked the Lord three times, take it away. And God said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. We definitely don't have more faith than Paul. Most of the time, I don't have anywhere close to that kind of faith. And so that's not what this passage is trying to teach us at all. In fact, Jesus is going to say right after this, you only need faith of the mustard seed to move mountains. So it's, it's not about they didn't have enough faith or then they would have. That's not what this passage is teaching us. And I think it's good to say that, set it aside, go, okay, that's, that's not what this is about. So what is it? Like open our minds and say, what, is, what does God want to teach us here? And I, and I think there's a lot of things that he wants to teach us here specifically about prayer. But first I want to look at verse 17. You, you got it right there in front of you. Look at verse 17. It says, and Jesus answered. You understand that story? The guys were, Jesus and Peter, James and John, were all up on the mountain. This transfiguration experience happened. And they're coming down the mountain. And the other nine disciples that didn't get to go up on the mountain with Jesus, 
they were brought this man, and they were trying to cast out this demon. They, they were unable to do it. When you look at Matthew's story, and then you compare it with Mark's version of the same story and Luke's version of the same story, you see some of the other details, because we have those three stories that kind of give us this complete picture. And Mark tells us that the religious leaders were there, and they were arguing with the disciples. They were criticizing, they were coming against them. So there's this debate, this argument that was going on at the same time. And they were unable to, to heal this guy. And so when Jesus comes down the mountain, the, the, the man, the father, he walks up and he says, hey, I, my son, here's his condition. Your disciples I brought, but they weren't able to do it. And Jesus' response, look at verse 17. He answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? We talk a lot about Jesus' deity, the fact that he was God in the flesh. That he's God. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a good guy. He's God in the flesh. We talk a lot about his deity, and sometimes we forget to talk as much about his humanity, that he was fully human. He experienced all that we experience. He was tempted in every way, but he didn't sin. He didn't give in. He experienced the pain of life that we experience. And in this moment, what do we see? We see Jesus being exasperated. We see him being frustrated. He, he, he's God in the flesh. He's God the Son. He took on flesh, came down to this world to rescue us, to redeem us, because we had no hope apart from him. He came to die on a cross for us. He came to save us, and we rejected him. He heals so many people, even all, all the way up to this point. We've seen so many healings, and yet in this moment, there's doubt, there's there's, there's unbelief in this moment. He's done all these miracles, all these different signs, and still we're not sure. And in that moment, when he, when he sees this lack of faith, when he sees this unbelief, he's just exasperated. He's just, Jesus is fully human and fully God. He came to rescue, and he's like, how long am I going to have to put up with these people that won't believe? No matter what I do, they don't believe. And as you see that picture of his humanity, I want you to put it next to the cross. Because he didn't, he didn't stop the plan. He didn't back out of it. I'm, I, how long am I going to, let me get out of this thing. No, he just kept right on because of his love for us, because of his desire to rescue us. That even though we were in disbelief, even though we continue to reject him, he continues to pursue us. And he went right straight to the cross. But we get to see a glimpse of that here. And then we get to see him talk about faith and talk about prayer specifically. And, and Matthew tells us that later after this all happened, the disciples came to him privately. Verse 19, the disciples came to Jesus privately and they said, hey, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we cast that demon out? In verse 20, he said to them, Jesus said to them, because of your little faith. It was a rebuke because, because you lacked faith. When Mark is telling this story from his perspective, he tells us that Jesus also said, this kind only comes out through prayer. And so it's like we have this, this whole picture here of these guys were not, they did not have faith in that moment, and Jesus is saying they weren't praying. This kind only comes out with prayer. Did you pray? Now, oh, we forgot that step. They weren't praying, and Jesus looks at these guys because you're because your little faith. 
And so what I think we see here is this connection between prayer and faith, and I think we need to learn some things about that today. I think we need to lean into that a little bit today, and I think that we can say it this way, that a lack of prayer shows a lack of faith. When we're not praying, I'm talking about consistently praying, when we're not coming to God with our needs and and making our needs known to him, when we're not living a life devoted to prayer like they were in Acts, that what it's showing is a lack of faith in our life. It's it's showing that what we're doing is relying on ourselves. A lack of prayer equals a lack of faith, and it's really revealing self-reliance in our hearts. That what we've decided in this moment is that, no, I don't really need to pray. I don't really need to go to God. What I need is to, I need to work harder. I need to do some things over here. I need, to, I need to call some people. I need to send some emails. I need to fix it on my own. And when we're not praying, what we're doing is we're basically saying, I can figure this out. I can work a little bit extra. I can do a little bit of extra things. This deal will go through if I do this. This will happen. My kids will do this if I can just maybe adjust this thing. and do. This. I mean, what we're doing is we're, we're just confessing that we're relying on ourselves. And when that happens, when we're relying on ourselves, prayer becomes the last resort for us instead of the, the heartbeat of our lives. It becomes like, oh, yeah, that's, that's what we'll do. We really get in trouble. And you guys have heard of Corey Tim Boom, that famous, amazing lady of the faith. And she, she asked a question one time, and she said it this way, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Think about that for a second. When, when it comes to prayer, is that the steering wheel I mean, you don't, you don't get very far without a steering wheel. You sure don't get in the right place. You, you're going to go the wrong direction without a steering wheel. That's what prayer is supposed to look like. Or is it your spare tire? Because you can go a long way without your spare tire. I, it may or may not be true that some, some teenagers that live in my house didn't even know they had one until recently. I mean, that's a spare tire, right? Like, you... It's the last resort. You get a flat tire, you put some air in it. If it doesn't hold the air, you go get fix-a-flat. Because the tire shop loves fix-a-flat. You put that up in there. And if that doesn't work, you're like, all right, we'll get the jack out, put the spare on. The spare's just there for emergencies. And then when we are relying on ourselves and we think we can do this, I'm, I'm going to figure this out on my own, prayer becomes that spare tire that we don't, we don't like, oh, yeah, if it gets really, really bad. Prayer is supposed to be the steering wheel. It's supposed to be guiding us every step. We should be like, I, I can't go that direction. I can't turn there. I can't turn. I can't make it anywhere without that in my life. But it's so easy for us to rely on ourselves instead. That lack of prayer shows a lack of faith. It shows up in self-confidence. It shows up in us basically saying, I got this. Don't worry, I got this. I'm not praying about it because I think I can figure it out on my own. I've got this. I'm confident in my own abilities. And it's so easy to get there. It's so easy for me to get there. Then I'm this, yeah, no, don't worry about it. I got it. I'm fine. Instead of praying and depending upon God, confessing my reliance on him. The best book I've ever read on prayer is a a book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Here's what he says about this. He says, if you are not praying, if you're not giving yourself to prayer, here's what it is. You are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. I'm so sad at how many times that's true for me. I'm not praying because I'm just, I'm I'm really deep down, I'm confident that I got this. I, I, I got enough time. 
I've got enough talent, whatever. I, I can figure this out without that help. And when we're not praying, it's showing a lack of faith, and it shows up in that self-confidence. I, I, I don't need any help here. I'm fine. The, ultimately, what it shows is that we're not believing. It shows unbelief in our life. That's where this is all going. That in the end, we wouldn't say this out loud, but we're not praying because we think, I don't think that'll work. I, I prayed last time and it didn't, it didn't go the way I wanted. So I'm not sure God's listening. I'm not sure he's caring. Maybe he's too, too concerned about what's going on in another part of the world. And I just, I'm not praying because I'm really not sure deep down that this is going to work. I mean, what, what's going on here? Why do the disciples can't do this? Jesus does it just like that. He just speaks a word and it's over. Why can't they do this? And it, to me, because I know my own heart, I just see this all in them. You, you understand that Matthew tells us that earlier, I think it was Matthew 10, that Jesus gave them the authority to cast out demons. Mark tells us that they've done it a few times. And then they get to this situation, and I'm just kind of guessing here because I know how I do this too many times. They looked at this like, oh, yeah, we got this. We've done this before. We've cast out a lot of demons. We got it. And maybe they did everything else that they've done before, and they've seen some results and this kind of thing or whatever, and it didn't work. And all of a sudden, when it didn't work, guess what? They stopped believing. I guess he's not listening. I guess he's not going to answer. I guess he's not going to do it. In that moment, right? They stop believing. That's why Jesus looks at them and says, you didn't do it because of your, your little faith. And the way he says that, he's not, he's not saying you had a little and you needed more and then it would have worked out. He's saying you didn't have any. You lacked faith in that moment. You were unbelieving in that moment. Because he's about to say, you only need the mustard seed. So it's not about how much you have. It's in that moment. You stopped believing. Despite all the other things you've seen, you didn't believe in this time. And I do that too. Despite all the times that God has answered my prayer in other ways in different times in my life, I come to this situation and I'm like, I, I, don't, mm, I don't know. Maybe I need to do this on my own. Maybe I do this instead. Self-reliance, self-confidence, unbelief. That's, it's so easy to move into that. And here's what we're communicating, a lack of faith because we're not praying. When Jesus rebukes them, it's designed to sting. These are his disciples. These are his followers. And they're like, why couldn't we do it? Because you didn't have the faith. You lacked faith. You weren't praying. It's designed to rebuke. It's designed to hurt. Designed, I mean, you look at that and you read it and you're like, oh, that, yeah, you cut me deep. You cut me deep, Shrek, just now. You really did. Like, it's supposed to hurt a little bit. And, and that's okay. It's not all, you know, sunshine and roses. Like, we should come to this sometimes and there should be conviction. There should be, ow, yeah, I'm not. I... But here's the deal. Guilt's not a good motivator, is it? I mean, we feel guilty about lots of stuff, but it doesn't change how we do it tomorrow. I mean, you feel guilty, like, I should share my faith more. I feel guilty about not sharing my faith enough. And that, that guilt does not turn me into a crazy evangelist the next day. It doesn't, doesn't motivate me the next day. I can read this and hear this, and I can study this all week and go, yeah, I'm not praying enough. 
I'm, I'm, I'm relying on myself too much. And I can feel a lot of guilt about that, and it won't, it won't necessarily change me tomorrow. Guilt's not a good motivator. I can feel guilty about eating a whole bag of chocolate-covered peanut clusters. I shouldn't do that. But then I walk into Bucky's and there's a wall of candy. <laughs> That's an amazing wall. I'm like, I'm going to get another bag of chocolate-covered peanut clusters. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat it all before I get home so no one will even know. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Like, my guilt does not motivate me. And Jesus knows that. He rebukes them, and I'm sure they felt the sting of that, but he doesn't leave them there. Look at what he says, verse 20. He said to them, because of your little faith, that's the answer, that's the rebuke, that's the sting. And then he says this, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. He doesn't leave them in a place of feeling guilty. He gives them a vision for what life could be. Yeah, you're not praying enough. You're, you're not believing. So let, let's don't stay there. Let me show you what you should be doing. Let me show you what it could look like. If you have faith, even the tiniest amount of faith, like a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, move, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible. Here's the vision that God has for us, the, to, to believe and to ask and to have faith and to pray and to see him do amazing things. That's the vision he wants for us. That's the motivator for me, is to see what he's calling me to, see, see the life he wants for me, see how he wants to uh, wrap himself up in these prayers and do these amazing things that only he can do when I call out to him. And so the vision that we need to have for us to move forward from this and not just stay in the rebuke and the guilt is to understand that prayer moves mountains. That, that's what he says, prayer moves mountains. Now, you guys understand, he's not, this is not literal. This is not a message for Ryan last week when he was telling us about how much he loves that little mountain that he likes to climb, wherever that is. Like, this is not Ryan. If you would just have enough faith, you could move that mountain down here to, uh, he lives over on the dark side of Heath. Like, you could move that mountain there, and we'd all benefit from that. It's not literal moving of mountains. It, it, it's, it's, it's a metaphor. It's Mountains are insurmountable obstacles. Mountains are impossible situations. And, and, and what he's saying is that our, when we pray, mountains can be moved. You, you understand he's not saying that we're going to move the mountains. God's the one who moves the mountains. Ian e. Bounds, famous theologian that wrote a lot about prayer, he says it this way, only God can move mountains but faith and prayer move God. Think about that for a second. Don't go too far with it. It's not, he's not saying it, our prayers are controlling God and he has to do it. No, God has chosen to respond to us when we pray and to answer us when we pray. He's chosen to move and act in our world when his people pray. It's crazy, it's unbelievable. That's what he's chosen to do. And so God's the one who moves mountains. When does he move them? When his people pray. So we, we need to be people that pray. We, when we pray, we're, we're going the opposite of self-reliance and self-confidence. We're saying, I don't have this. I need help. I need God. I always, always, always need him. And so we, we have to pray. We need to be people pray because we need God all the time. 
In every situation, we need him. You, you already heard Nick talk about this. You, talk, you heard our youth talk about this. And this week has been hard for our church. We, we, lost, we lost Trevor this week. I, I had the opportunity to sit with Lynn and Cam Daniel, Trevor's dad and mom, Friday night. Hear, hear how, they're, how they're handling it. One of the questions I asked them was, how, how can we help you guys? What can we do for y'all? And Lynn said, it's going to sound like what I should say, but I'm telling you, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Pray for us. We need you to pray for us. We need our church to pray for us. <laughs> he made a joke. He's like, we, hey, meals are great. I'm glad people are bringing us meals, and we need meals. we got to eat. Our freezer's full right now. What we need is for you to pray for us. And then he and, he and Cam both just kind of started talking a little bit, and they, they basically just said, because we're saying that because that's the only thing that's got us through the last four years. And they started recounting story after story of times where they hit the wall, and they, were, they, they, could, they knew, I can't go another step. People were praying, and we knew it, and it got us through. And we need to, we need to be a people that understands this. We have to pray. We don't have this. We can't get through this on our own. No matter what it is, the big, big stuff or the little bitty things, we can't do it. And when you understand that, you, be, you, you pray. You go to God, and you know that he can do anything. So, so what do we do with this? I, I think we find this balance between these two things. We should ask boldly, and we should surrender completely. We should ask boldly and surrender completely. But Now, before we talk about surrendering, let me talk about asking boldly. You, you guys are here at our church, most of you, because you found a church that, that lined up with what you were looking for. I, I understand that. Like, maybe some of you found us on the Acts 29 side or the Gospel Coalition or whatever. You heard about what we were doing over here, and you heard about the teaching, and you, you, most of you are discerning. Like, I, I, want a, I want a church that's going to be teaching the Word of God. I want a church that's theologically sound, and we're striving to be that, of course. You didn't look for a church and find us because you were looking for one of those name it, claim it churches. You, you weren't looking for the prosperity gospel and somehow ended up here. And I think, well, this is pretty close. Like, that's not, that's not how this works. We're not anywhere close to this ditch over here of prosperity gospel. If you just believe hard enough, you'll be fine. No, that's, that's a false teaching, and we're way far away from that. But I worry that sometimes we're on this ditch over here where we're not asking enough. Well, God is sovereign and God's in control. And we're just like, yeah, of course he is. But he says, ask. All the time he says, ask. You want to sum up Jesus' teaching about prayer? It's ask. Knock. Doors will be opened. 
And sometimes it's really easy for us because we know we're not over there to hang out over here and go, yeah, I'm not sure like God's really going to do that. So I'm like, no, ask boldly, ask big. The Bible says that he wants to do more than we would dare to ask. So maybe we should move a little bit closer to daring. Get a little bit bigger with our prayers. Get a little bit bigger with what we're asking him to do. And then surrender completely to his will. I'm going to ask big things, but I'm going I'm to trust him. Because what we're doing there is we're saying, I'm going to ask you, God. I'm going I'm I'm to see what I, from my perspective, this is what I think would be awesome if you did this. And I'm going to ask for that. And I'm going to ask with, with, with confidence and with boldness and your power to do it. But in the end, I'm going to trust that your story for my life is better than the story I would write for myself. And so I'm going to surrender that. I'm going to submit to that. God, I, I'm, I'm not going to fail to ask, but I'm also going to trust that your plan is better. That's the spot I think he wants us in. Why? Well, because Jesus gave us a great example of that. Jesus is in the garden, about to be turned over, about to be betrayed, about to be crucified. And what does he pray? Father, take this cup from me. That's a big, big prayer. I don't, I, don't, don't let me have to go to the cross. Take it away. Jesus prayed that prayer knowing that he wasn't going to get that prayer answered. You think about that? He knows where he's going. He knows the cross is in his next step. He knows exactly that that prayer is not going to be answered with a taking of the cup away. He's going to drink the cup, but he still prayed it. If Jesus prayed a prayer he knew that God wasn't going to give him, shouldn't we pray bigger prayers? Shouldn't we ask more boldly? And the very next thing he says is, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Surrendered completely. Ask boldly, surrender completely. That's the place he wants us. And please understand, I'm not talking about just the situations that we finally recognize they're out of our control and that they're the emergency type situations. I'm talking about every single thing in our life we're devoted to prayer because we know we can't do it. Talking about your parenting. Pray for your kids. Because it's you telling God, God, I I don't got this. There's things that are going to happen that are out of my control, and I don't know how to do it, and I know that you're in control. So we pray, pray, pray for our kids. How many times in our parenting do we not pray, and we run over here and go, well, if I do this enough, and I read a book, and I I, I saw that YouTube video, and if I do this, and if I have enough conversations with them and give them another lecture, because those are always great, then they will probably get on the right path. How's that working for you? I mean, when they're teenagers, they're barely listening. <laughs> You're talking for your own sake. I've done it a lot. And we pray. We should probably be talking to God about our kids more than we talk to our kids. Kids, no amens from y'all, okay? Calm down. It'll set you free to think about it that way. I, I'm going to talk to God more about my kids than I'm going to talk to my kids. I know he's listening. (laughs) Not sure. (laughs) Parenting, every phase of your life, every aspect. Pray for your church. 
Pray for your relationships. Pray for your work. Pray for your finances, everything. I'm not going to be relying on myself. I'm not going to be confident. I'm going to trust God. He moves mountains. And I'm going to pray big, and I'm going to surrender completely. That's where God wants us to be in every area of our life. And we should pray in Jesus' name. We know this because we do it. We should pray in Jesus' name. But I want to help us understand that today. John 14, verse 13 through 14, Jesus said these words, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Think about that for a second. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Surrender. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus says, pray in my name. We have a good father who wants to give good gifts to his children. Ask boldly, pray in Jesus' name. But what does that mean? It's not just the tagline we put on the end of prayer. It's not a magic, magic saying at the end. It's not like, I'm going to pray this and then say, a la peanut butter sandwiches. That's not what this is about at all. It's not just the thing that we're supposed to say before we hang up. In Jesus' name is a reminder of the gospel. In Jesus' name, we come to pray because Jesus gave us access to the Father. We were cut off, separated from God because of our sin and rebellion. Jesus died on the cross and brought us back into a right relationship with God. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus alone, he brings us into a right relationship with God. And one of the benefits of that, one of the many multiple benefits of that is that now we have access to God the Father. We get to approach the throne throne of grace with confidence, knowing that God's going to listen to our prayers because Jesus died in our place. In fact, the Bible says he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. We we get to pray. We get to present all of our requests to God knowing that he hears us because Jesus died for us to make that possible. He gave us access. So we pray in Jesus' name because that's what allows our prayers to be heard. It's unbelievable, the privilege here. Tim Keller wrote a book called Prayer, and I love this quote because it's so much reminding us of the gospel. He says this, We know God will answer us when we call because one terrible day he did not answer Jesus when he called. Jesus' prayers were given the rejection that you and I, we sinners, merit so that our prayers could have the reception that Jesus merits. That's why we pray. Because Jesus gave us access. So let's be people. Let's be a church. Let's be small groups. Let's be individuals that ask boldly for God to do what only God can do. And then let's surrender completely to what he wants to do, the story that he's writing in our lives for his glory and our joy. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your love for us, and I want to thank you for the truth in your word. I want to, I want to thank you for the times that it, it stings and challenges us. I want to thank you for how you pull us closer to you through your word. You show us this unbelievable plan and vision for our lives through your word. And so, God, help us to embrace that. Help us to understand that. Help us to live that out. Help us to be people who 
who know how good you are and we're willing and always asking boldly for you to do what only you can do and then help us, God, to be people that surrender to your plan, whatever it is, and trust that your plan is best. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen.